hope you prayed that prayer with all your heart as you sang that song, and that you mean it with all your heart. The Corinthian church had made that same statement and declaration that they were going to give themselves wholly to the Lord, completely to the Lord. And uh, Paul calls on them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 to make good on their promise. Now, he's encouraged them in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians that we saw last week to give, to contribute to the needs of the saints in Jerusalem because of their poverty and because of their persecution. And they committed themselves to do so, brought word back from Titus, uh, by way of Titus, to Paul, saying that they would give. Well, they hadn't done it yet whenever Paul wrote to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And you're never going to see a headline. You're never going to view a headline in the paper that says, Thief breaks into church and steals $1 million worth of pledges from the church's safe. It's just not going to happen. Pledges aren't worth anything. Empty promises aren't worth a thing. We measure the amount of concern that we have for others by deed and truth, not by platitudes and not by feelings, right? That's the measure of how much we care, is what we actually give. And so, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to hear Paul encourage these Corinthians to give as the Macedonians had already given, as an example. And then he's going to give this, this admonition as well, to remember the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ as they gave. So why don't you stand with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we'll read the first paragraph. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word today, Lord, and we thank you for the example that was set so many years ago by the Macedonian believers, Lord, that they gave, even though, Lord, they themselves were in need on occasion, they were willing to give generously and freely of their own choice, of their own desire to be a blessing. Lord, we know that as we give, we are blessed, and so, Father, I pray that you would bless each and every one of your saints that are gathered here today and those listening. And, Father, that they would be willing to give just as the Macedonians were. And, Lord, as you encourage our hearts, may we be obedient to everything that you lay upon our hearts. And, Lord, help us to also always remember that the Lord Jesus gave everything for us. And so, Lord, we owe him everything. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So here's the biblical truth I want to share with you this morning. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. God has blessed all of us. There's not one here in the room that we could say we're not blessed by God. Every one of us is blessed. And even if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today, you've still been blessed. And I believe with all my heart that one of the biggest blessings that he's given you 
is to be here today to be able to hear the message of the gospel and have the opportunity to place your faith and trust in Jesus for eternity. That's not an accident. It's not a coincidence that you're here today. You're here because the Lord Jesus has blessed you with the grace of bringing you to this place to to sit in the presence of the Spirit and hear the Word of God. And each and every one of us is blessed in many other ways beyond that. The grace of God that had come to these Macedonian believers overflowed in an abundance of grace giving. And this is the example that Paul exalts. He lifts up the Macedonian church for these Corinthian believers. These Corinthian believers were a little bit slow in their giving. And someone once said, generosity is best whenever it's done quickly. Whenever you, when God puts it on your heart, whenever you have that feeling, that tug, that urge within you to give, that you would give immediately. And that's, that's when you should give. But this Corinthian church had said that they would do it, but they hadn't done it yet. They said that they would, but they didn't. You know, the moment that you trusted in Jesus Christ, I, I, I bet that you said, Jesus, you can have me and you can have all of me. We, we all say that. But sometimes it takes a while for the Lord to work that out in our lives. Sometimes through the process of sanctification, that's when we truly become generous. It doesn't happen immediately. We grow in our giving. Well, I want to give us just a few principles A few principles this morning about giving. And so the first principle that we see from this text about Paul's examples that he's going to give first the Macedonian believers to the Corinthian church, as well as the example of Christ and his gift. Number one, when we give, we need to give gladly. We need to give with a smile on our face. We need to give enjoying giving. Now, you've known people that give grudgingly, don't you? You know people that give uh, as a miser, and they're not, they're not happy about giving. But God calls us to give gladly. Give with a glad heart. Look at what it says again in verses, eight, uh, uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, these are the the Macedonian churches that Paul had already used as an example for the Corinthians. But he says in verse 2, For in a severe test of affliction, and we're not sure exactly what the test of affliction was. It could have been pestilence, disease, poverty, famine. We're not sure. But there was something that was happening in that church that was causing trials among them. Their abundance of joy... And extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. So what is the, the result of the trial that came upon them? And what is the result of their poverty that they had? Well, they gave. Well, there's a third element in that mix that it's easy for us to skip over. But Paul says because of their joy, it has overflowed in an abundance of generosity. Why? Why did they give the way that they gave, even though they were not not that uh, well-to-do church? They weren't the first Baptist church downtown that had plenty of money and big donors. They were the the smaller churches in the countryside that whenever the famine hit, it hit hard in the church. And, And whenever there was nothing on the nothing on the table, they were still willing to invite a neighbor over and to have whatever they had. They were willing. Why were they that way? Well, the Bible says it was because they understood the grace of God and how much they had, truly had, in spiritual places that could not be seen. Even though they were poor, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, they were rich. They were rich in the things of God. And so this church understood this, this truth. That when we give, we receive a blessing. When we give, we receive a blessing. We receive a blessing that can't be measured in material things. It's a blessing that is in eternal places where eyes can't see it. But neither can thieves break in and steal it, nor moth 
destroy it or rust, corrupt it. It's in a secure location that no one can touch. And that joy that we have in those places overflows and becomes evident in our lives. Acts 20 and verse 35, Paul reminds the church in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then 2 Corinthians 9, just the chapter from where we're studying today, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, not giving with a grudge, but giving gladly, right? For God loves a, what? Cheerful giver. Well, the word cheerful there in that text, it literally is this word that we, we translate it, uh, transliterate it into English. It is hilarious. Not that the transliteration is hilarious. The word itself is hilarious. For God loves a hilarious giver. That means, man, when you give, it ought to just be giving to the point where, okay, that hurts a little bit to give that way. Okay, well, that's a little bit ridiculous. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm giving this much. It just becomes hilarious. And the only thing you can do is laugh about it. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the picture, the illustration that you have here. God loves a cheerful giver. And God wants us, when we give, to give gladly. And I'll tell you, the joy is yours whenever you give abundantly. You will have abundant joy. I can tell you this with absolute confidence. I have never missed anything I've ever given away. Never missed it. And I've never lost anything that I've ever given away. But I can tell you this. I've lost plenty of things that I've tried to keep for myself. I lose them all the time. I tell you, I, we, were, we were in the store the other day, and I told Allison, I need to pick up a new pocket knife. And she said, you can't have one yet. And this is what she said, because I, I, I've just done this, man. I, I don't know why I do this. Every time I go to the airport or anywhere that's got security, um, I have my pocket knife in my pocket. And once I've waited in line that long, guess what? I'm not about to go back to the car. I'm not about to go take that thing back. So I, I get to the trash bin and I have to pull it out and throw it in the trash. See, there's going to be a day where everything that you've tried to keep for yourself, you're going to go through that line one day and you're going to hand it over. You're just going to throw it away. See, everything that you try to keep for yourself one day, you're going to lose. And Jesus even said it this way. He said, he who tries to keep his own life, his own life, will what? Will lose it. And so everything that I've tried to keep for myself, I'm going to lose one day. But I've never missed anything I've given away. And I've never lost anything I've given away. And I'm telling you, it's the same for you. You will be blessed whenever you give. So give gladly. But secondly, give generously. Give generously. Give gladly, but give generously. Now listen again to what it says. He, he says again in verse 2, uh, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So here you have this, these country churches, not the, not the big church in Corinth that is materially blessed, not the wealthy church, but the poor church is giving a wealth of generosity. Now Paul goes on to say that not only have they given according to what they have in verse 3, He's, he can testify because Paul knows that how much they have. And Paul says, I know, I can testify that they've given at, at least according to what they've had. But listen, I want to tell you even now, beyond their means of their own accord. They've given above and beyond what uh, would have been normal for a church to give. Now, certainly this doesn't mean that the church was going into debt because of it. Uh, but 
they were willing to experience a pinch so that another church, the church in Jerusalem, wouldn't have to experience the squeeze. They were able to recognize that this other church is, even though we're not very well off, this other church is much worse off than we are, and we have much that we can give. Somebody say amen to that. I have much that I can give. And maybe you don't have a lot of money. And that's okay. But every single person in this place, every single believer, every single Christian, let me tell you this, you all have an abundance of wealth that you can give in time, talents, and treasures. You all do. We all do. We've all been given much by God. And since we've been given much, we should give generously. They gave willingly without being uh, compelled to give, without being prompted or prodded, without any coercion. Listen to what he says. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. You know, one of the sermons I, I, I detest the most is a sermon about, pre, about tithing. I detest those. I don't like them. And here I was preaching one last week, and some of you are like, oh goodness, we've got to talk about giving again. And then people, the reason, I have, the reason I have that feeling about preaching about tithing is because I've heard so many people say, all that church wants is my money. And it turns people off and people don't want to do anything. Here, I want to, I want to come out, out and say this right now. Let me get down here while I say this. When I preach a sermon on tithing and giving and generosity, I'm preaching to that man up there just as much as to you out there. To me. I'm, I'm here with you all. And I want to tell you something else about it too. I'm not here to check your checkbook. And the church isn't here to check your checkbook to see how much you're giving. Nobody's doing that. Nobody really, frankly, even cares how much you give. That's between you and the Lord. But what I care about and what we collectively as a church cares about is that you exhibit the generosity of Jesus Christ in what you give because you are growing in Him. Now that's what's really important. We give generously because Jesus has been generous to us. And then that means not just in material things, but that means that you, you show up on a Saturday afternoon when you could be watching the football game and you show up at the gymnasium to help with the fall festival because you know that people from the community are going to be there. And you know that it's an opportunity for you to show the love of Jesus Christ because the love of Jesus Christ has been poured into you so generously and so you don't mind it flowing out from you. I mean, listen, folks, there's all kinds of ways that we give. It's not just in money. And I'm not here trying to collect, take a collection of, listen, we've already had the offering. Either you put in or you didn't. My point is that we give generously because Jesus has been generous to us. They gave willingly. Now, now look at verse 4. This, they didn't have to have a sermon on tithing, and they didn't have to have a sermon. This is the Macedonian church. They didn't have to have a sermon on tithing, and they didn't have to have a sermon on giving because they wanted to give. Look at verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. The church didn't need a sermon because they were already ready to give. And they were giving abundantly. And then verse 5, this is why. And this, not as we expected. So, so Paul is saying, we didn't expect them to give this way. But here's why. They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. In other words, what Paul is saying is, Jesus had all of them. And that's why they gave so generously. So let's go back to the first principle that we started out with whenever we started this series. Who owns it all? 
God. God owns it all. And so the church understood that God owned everything, and therefore, because He had redeemed them and purchased them by the blood of the Lamb, God owned the church as well. He owned every member of the church. And so what did they do? The natural response to that understanding is to give yourself freely to this God who's given everything for you. You see, when by grace we become more like our Heavenly Father, then will we become more generous in our giving. Because our Heavenly Father is really generous. And if we're His children, we're going to take on the family likeness. We'll be more like God. The characteristic of God's child is generosity. And by our giving, someone has written, our money can make us overseas missionaries without ever leaving home, turn us into evangelists without ever standing on a platform, make us broadcasters without ever entering into a studio, and Bible teachers without ever writing a book. Well, what's the opposite of generosity? It's covetousness and greed. If we give grudgingly, then our approach is essentially a have to. If we give dutifully, our approach is essentially, I need to. But if we give generously and thankfully, our approach is essentially, I want to. I want to. And all of us this morning, to some degree or another, will be either grudge-giving, duty-giving, or grace-giving. And I've often said this, but I'll say it for you. You can leave it behind. You can pay it forward by giving it. Or you can give it up because you can't take it with you when you go. Give generously. The third principle Give graciously. Now, if we think about these words that he's already said several times, look at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So the gift that was given was considered graceful. Graceful in their giving. Well, if they give graciously, what is it that they understand about it? They understand that it's not deserved or earned. But it's something that's given as a gift because of the grace that's been shown to them. And then he says in verse 7, he says, See that you excel in this act of grace also. And then verse 8, he gives another example. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. All right, so here's the thing. He's saying, I'm not going to compel you to do it. I'm not commanding you to do it. I don't want to make you tithe. I don't want to make you give. I don't want to make you give this offering. That's not Paul's desire any more than it's my desire today. Neither was it Paul's desire then to make people feel guilty about their giving. But what he said was, this is a way for you to prove that you truly love God. And that you truly love His people. And how much you give. You can prove it by giving. And giving graciously. And then he gives them this example in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you by his poverty might become rich. Do you know the grace of Jesus Christ? Do you know it? Now I'm not talking about do you know of it. Have you heard of it? Have you read about it? I'm talking about do you know it? Has the grace of Jesus Christ been poured out to you in your life in such a way that you would say, God, I am forever in your debt because I don't deserve anything that you've done for me. Listen, whenever you've truly been convicted and convinced of your sinfulness and your total depravity, 
That you've never earned anything that Jesus ever did for you, but that he became poor for your sake, even though he was rich, even though he's the king of heaven. He came to this earth and he lived and he died on a cross for you, even though you never did anything worth earning that or deserving that. When you realize that he did that, it puts you forever in his debt. You understand the grace of God. And so Jesus reminds the Corinthian church that, hey, I just wrote this letter to you because you're all acting like heathens. There was a church gone wild in 1 Corinthians. And Paul says, you know, I'm not commending you in any of the things that you're doing. I can't commend you in a thing that you're doing. And then he gets to the second letter and he reminds them of how God forgave them still loves them, accepts them, will never leave them nor forsake them. And he reminds them of what Jesus did on the cross. And in verse 10, And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So Paul says, hey, look, you geared up and you got ready and you were almost ready to give it, and you started to give it, but then you quit. So I'm reminding you, he says, to complete it, to do what you were supposed to do from the beginning. He says in verse 11, so now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Now, Paul points out something to the Corinthian church that was unique to them that was not the case for the Macedonians. The Corinthian church absolutely had the ability to give. They had it right there in their pockets. They were sitting on it, and they weren't doing anything about it. Folks, maybe that's you today. Maybe you have the ability to do more. Maybe you could show up more. Listen, I talked about time, talents, and treasures. We all have the same amount of time. I have people say, I just don't have time. And I'm even guilty of saying that myself. I just don't have time. No, you have the same amount of time that everybody else does, right? We all have the same 24 hours a day, seven days a week. None of us have more. None of us have less. It's about what we choose to do with that time. I'm not hearing a whole lot of amens. Amen. <laughs> maybe, you're, maybe you're taking what really belongs to the Lord and you're spending it on yourself. And what you want to be doing with it. We've all been given gifts of grace by God. Some of us, we can sing just like Cody or any of these choir members up here, some of us have been given that gift and we're, we're choosing to use it out there or while we're driving down the car, driving down the road in the car rather than up here helping engage people in worship. Maybe you have an excellent gift for study and to be able to, to orate or, or to take the, the gifts and the treasures that you've Receive from the Lord in your personal study. And you have that ability to share that with others. But you, they've come to you several times and said, hey, we want you to teach. And you said, no, that's not for me. I don't know what it might be, but your time, your talents, and your treasures. Maybe you've been blessed with a gift financially. And the last thing that you've thought to do with it is to give a portion of that. So don't forget to give. And you don't do it because anybody deserves it. You do it because you realize that Jesus has given so much for you that you did not deserve. Romans 6.23, Paul says, For the wages of sin is death. What's a wage? A wage is something that you earn. When you sin, you are earning the penalty of that sin, which is death. And not just a once, one-time death, the death of the body, but an eternal death. That's what you're earning every time you sin. 
But then Paul says, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift. You see, it's not a gift if it's earned. The Jerusalem church had not earned the gift from the Macedonians, nor were they earning the gift of the Corinthians. But Paul reminded them, even though they didn't do anything to earn it, you still should give it. Because Jesus has paid all for you. Give graciously. So he says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burden, but it is a matter of fairness. And so when we think about that, not only should they give graciously, lastly, they should give gratefully. We think about fairness. He says, I don't think that others should be eased. What he's saying is that, that the Macedonian Christians, they, they shouldn't be disobligated from giving just because they don't have as much as you do. They should still give. But then Paul looks at the Corinthian church and he says, you have more than all the other churches around. You're blessed. And if you're really truly thankful for the blessing of God, you'll want to give it away. If you're truly thankful for what God has done for you, you'll want to give it away. And then he says, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. So that their abundance may supply your need. Because there's going to be a day, listen, listen, folks. There's going to be a day in all of our lives where we're going to need someone else to be generous toward us. There will be a day. If it hasn't already happened in your life, but I'm sure every one of here could testify of a day they really needed somebody to be generous, and they were. And it helped them out. But listen, you're, you're, just, really, you're just really one month away from being out there on the street. All of us are. You're, you're, just, you're just one bad episode away from being in a hospital. All of us are. And so if you're thankful for the position that you have at the moment, the current blessings that you have in your life, you want to give out of that gratefulness. Eddie Rickenbacker was, uh, in 1942, he was on a, a plane. He had been serving, he served in World War One. but in 19, and, and by the way, he, he started out just as a mechanic, he really wanted to fly, but eventually he worked his way up to being a, a pilot, and became an ace in World War One. But every Friday night until his death in 1973, he would be seen on an old broken pier on the eastern seacoast of Florida with a bucket in his hand. He'd walk slowly and stoop over, reach in and pull out some shrimp and feed the shrimp to the gulls. In 1942, he was on a mission in a B-17 to deliver an important message to General Douglas MacArthur in New Guinea. But there was an unexpected detour which hurled Captain Eddie into the most harrowing adventure of his life. Somewhere over the South Pacific, the flying fortress became lost beyond the reach of radio. The fuel ran dangerously low, so the men ditched their plane in the ocean. For nearly a month, Captain Eddie and his companions fought the water, the weather, and the scorching sun. They spent many sleepless nights recoiling from sharks who rammed their rafts. The largest raft was nine by five. The biggest shark was over ten feet long. But of all their enemies at sea, the worst enemy, worst foe that they faced was starvation. Eight days out, their rations were long gone. 
All they had had was a few oranges that one of the men had stuffed in his pockets. They tried to catch some fish with the orange peels. They had some line and hook, but was unsuccessful. It would take a miracle to sustain them, but that, that miracle occurred. Captain William Cherry, that Eddie called Cherry, read the service that afternoon, he said, and we finished with a prayer for deliverance and a hymn of praise. Eddie keeps on and he says, there was some talk, but it tapered off in oppressive heat. With my hat pulled down over my eyes to keep out some of the glare, I dozed off. He says, something landed on my head. I knew that it was a seagull. I don't know how I knew. I just knew. Everyone else knew too. No one said a word, but peering out from under my hat, brim, without moving my head, I could see the expression on their faces. They were staring at that goal. The goal meant food. I think about the cartoons when they're really star the cartoons are starving to death and they look over at their friend and he turns into a piece of fried chicken. Okay. That goal meant food if I could catch it. And the rest they say is history. Captain Eddie caught the goal, its flesh was eaten. Its intestines were used for bait to catch fish. The survivors were sustained and their hopes renewed because a lone seagull, uncharacteristically hundreds of miles from land, offered itself as a sacrifice. You know that Captain Eddie made it. He went on to own an airline as well as be a, one of the most famous race car drivers in American history. You know that he never forgot. Because every Friday evening about sunset on a lonely stretch along the eastern Florida seacoast, he could see an old man walking. White-haired, bushy-eyebrowed, slightly bent, his bucket filled with shrimp to feed the seagulls. To remember that one which, on a day long past, gave itself without a struggle like the man in the wilderness. Lord Jesus gave his all for you. He did, God did not spare his own son. We finished with this last week. I wanted to remind you of it again. But gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's given everything for you and me. I have a, have a picture of William Booth. Uh, I want us to go back and see him. He was asked one day about his success for the Salvation Army. By the way, that's not Norman Allen. Uh, even though I know... Where are you, Norm? You'd be a great stand-in for William Booth. Um, but this is what he said. Somebody said, well, what a, how, you know, all your success for Salvation Army... This is what he said in response. Jesus Christ has all of me. Why was he able to dedicate all of his life to the Salvation Army? Because Jesus Christ had all of him. Does he have all of you today? Does he have your everything today? The first thing that he wants from you today, if you haven't given it to him, is, is your heart. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and some of you today, you need to take that first step. You need to say, Jesus Christ, you are Lord and you are Savior and you will have my heart today. So if you've never made that declaration to him. And you were to say today, if I, if I were to die today, I don't know if I would go to heaven you have this opportunity before you. It's not a coincidence. 
This is the blessing of God that you're here and you have this opportunity to say, Jesus, I I need you as my Savior and I know that you are Lord. You are Lord of everything. So you can have all of me. I give it to you. You'd say that with me. I'll, I'll lead you in a prayer to do that. Just say this in your heart. Dear Jesus, I come to you now and I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done things that I, I know are wrong. And I have failed to do things that I know are right. And I deserve the penalty for my sin. The wages of my sin is death. But Jesus, I believe that you died for me. For my sin. That you were buried and that you were raised again. And that you are alive today. And that you are Lord of all. So Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. And fill me with your spirit. Make me a new person today. Jesus, thank you for your free gift of salvation. I'll spend the rest of my life living for you. And it's in your holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with us? This is our invitation. This is your opportunity to declare what you've just prayed in your heart publicly. Confess it openly and publicly. Jesus said if we're ashamed of him... Before men, that he will be ashamed of us before his heavenly Father. But if we acknowledge him, he will acknowledge us before his Father in heaven. And so this is your opportunity to make this declaration. Make it public. And today, if you're looking for a church home, this is the place to come. We're here. We love you. We're welcoming you. If you've made that decision, and you come for it. And today, if you need prayer, our prayer counselors will be here to pray with you. So let us use this invitation for the glory of the Lord. However he would have you use it, you be faithful.
to a time of uh, partaking in the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And I want to remind you that uh, the Bible says that a person should examine himself, herself, and then eat and drink of the, of the supper. So as we think about this and we pray about this, I want you to just have a seat right now. And I'm going to ask our deacons to come to the front. And as our deacons are coming, you take these few moments right now to examine your heart. Ask the Lord to examine you, to see. The Lord's Supper is reserved for those who know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And so, if that's true of you, then examine your heart right now. See if you're of the faith. See if you're in right relationship with God. If there's anything you need to confess... Take care of that right now before we take of the cup, the, the bread and the cup. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we're going to ask Brother Tony, if you would lead us in a prayer for the bread, sir. Thank you. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we again come into your presence, Father, to give you thanks and praise for all that you are, all that you do. Father, as we prepare to break this bread, God, let us remember your body that was broken for us on Calvary's cross. Father God, use this to give us strength and blessings. Hear our prayers, Lord, and forgive us where we failed. We ask in Christ's name.
Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Scripture also says that in like manner he took the cup after supper and saying, this is the blood of the covenant, which is for you. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we'll ask, do we have Brother Kent, our chairman of the deacons, ask a prayer of blessing for the cup. Thank you, sir. Thank you, God. For this day, Lord, and this time of remembrance, Lord, I pray a blessing for this cup that symbolizes the blood that was freely given, Lord, on Calvary. Lord, I pray that you would just lead us and guide us in all that we do and that we remember this day, Lord. I ask this in your name.
Jesus said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Drink ye all of it. Why don't you stand with us now? The scripture says on that night after they had received the supper uh, together in the upper room, they sang a hymn before they went out into the garden to pray. And so that's what we're going to do together. We're going to sing a closing hymn and then we'll be dismissed. Thank you, Brother Cody, for leading us this morning. Then came the morning that sailed.